Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the worlds of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of Ars staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we've covered on the site. We'll also talk about some of the other stuff we're doing when we're not circling the Ars orbiting headquarters. I am your host, Senior Apple Editor Jackie Chang, and on this week's show, we have Social Editor Cesar Torres. Hello! Gaming Editor Kyle Orland. Hiya! And Reviews Editor Lee Hutchinson. Howdy! So this week we are talking about the future of the console and where kind of where it's headed in terms of um, you know the mobile gaming landscape too and how things are sort of merging. Um, you know, a lot of companies are introducing new consoles this year, as I just learned from Kyle earlier, and so uh, this is a very topical thing since there's so much happening at the moment in gaming. So um, I think I'm actually just going to hand it over to Kyle, and uh, can you kind of bring us up to speed uh, for the those of us who don't follow gaming? Um, what kind of what systems are coming out in the next few months? Uh, no one really knows for sure. Okay, so let's we'll start in the consoles. The Wii U just came out, started off officially the next generation of consoles, but it's not too much more powerful than the Xbox 360 or the PS3 that are out there. It's got the new gamepad and it's kind of gimmicky, but it's not really you know head and shoulders above what has come before. Um, now that that's out there, Microsoft and Sony are expected to make their big moves. They've made indications that uh, by June's uh, Electronic Entertainment Expo or even before, they're going to make the first unveiling of uh, the PlayStation 4 and uh, what some people are calling the Xbox 720, uh, whatever it's called, the next Xbox. Uh, no, everyone's really speculating on what could be in these things, whether it's you know just going to be uh, you know, more graphics power, more hardware, or whether there's going to be, you know, some sort of new mo- motion controller uh, evolving on the Kinect, whether there's going to be some sort of uh, augmented reality thing that's uh, one of the big trends going on now. It's really quite up in the air, and, uh, you know, I thought it would be good to just talk about what we'd like to see and uh, also what uh, we think uh, might come up. Well, I mean, I'm not a huge gamer, so I'm kind of more of the type to just sit back and see what happens. Um, but I, um, I'm i always into more mobile gaming stuff. But I know that Lee, I mean, Lee always has strong opinions on gaming. So uh, is there anything you're looking forward to, Lee? Ha, 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 strong <laughs> opinions. Um, well, with the current generation of console hardware, you know, it's, it's old. It's been out for years and years and years. Uh, and with, you know, all the, the focus on 4K TVs that was at CES this year and everybody and their mom coming out with, you know, super ultra high def TVs, um, it's going to be really neat to see what kind of graphics power is crammed into the next generation consoles. Um, I don't think we'll see right off the bat the ability to do, you know, 4K native graphics. I mean, uh, I think we'll see stuff getting upscaled before we see 4K native because that's just a that's just a whole lot of pixels to push around. Well, there was um, just an article on Wired um arguing the opposite, but I I oh, really? tend to yeah, but I tend to agree with you Lee that uh, 4K it's a little early. Back uh back in 2006 HD was, you know, starting to really get a foothold and there was a you know, you could get an HD TV for maybe $2000 at a good size in back mm-hmm. in 2006 when the uh, PlayStation 3 came out. So supporting HD was kind of a you know, no brainer. Now, what's a 4K TV run? Twenty thousand dollars for the low end ones? Yeah, Something normal like people that? normal people won't have them for a while yet. Exactly. So I'm, and it's it's going to cost them a little bit more to, you know, support that with the graphics hardware. the The cost of the system would go up a little bit if they needed that support. So, yeah, it might be a little early for that. But 
then again, with a console, you have to kind of lock it in early, right? If they make it just an HD console, then it's hard to add 4K later on. You have to in- make an update, like, you know, the Xbox 4K or something. Right. I don't know about yeah. that. Well, clever coding tricks can only get you so far. You do have to exactly. have, I mean, you've got to come back to the hardware at some point. And if you're going to be, I can see at launch certainly not needing to put out 4K resolution, but having the hardware be there. And it's it's a lot of pixels to push, but it's not that many pixels to push. I mean, well, if you look spe- at... You're speaking as a PC gamer. Well, that's that's a lot of those PC gamer attitudes that are going to translate directly into the kind of stuff that we're going to see in, you know, when 4K displays become available. And you've got a lot, like you said, you kind of have to lock that hardware in now. So if you look at, you know, look at, um, look at like a high-end PC video card, like a, like a, 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 a GeForce uh, GTX 680 mm-hmm. or something, something huge and big uh, and, and frightfully expensive. Um, even with something like that, with, with just like one of those pushing 4k resolution with, with anisotropic filtering and anti-aliasing is tough. Um, yeah, what, you could what's the maximum do, resolution you'd, you'd get at a, out of a high-end PC these days vertically? It's maybe well, it's, it's a hard question. Sixteen hundred. Well, well okay, usually? no, no, no. The maximum the maximum resolution you'd probably be running at if you've got a twenty-seven or a thirty-inch display is something like twenty twenty-five sixty by sixteen hundred, twenty-five sixty by fourteen forty, right. depending upon so that, if it's a that's sixteen below. by so ten that's or sixteen four K, even at the high end of a PC. It is. So expecting a con- is, so yeah. expecting a new console to do that at this point, I mean, that would drive that would have to drive the costs. It would be it would be significant. So what you what you'd likely see is something targeting half of that resolution, two K resolution, and then simply pixel doubling or upscaling. Yeah, I could I could actually see it thinking about it where, you know, they release an H D system now and then maybe four years down the road they say, Here the new the new PlayStation four point five. It plays all your PlayStation four games, plus if you have a four K TV set, all new games will be in four K from now on. We've put out the word to developers uh, it's got a better GPU, and you know it's, and then it's at a reasonable cost at that point. Maybe they have an upgrade program. I don't know how people feel about that, but it, it's, it would be it would timing be is difficult, weird. but not un, not undoable. And the thing that would make it actually the thing that would make it easier is kind of the the flattening of the the flattening of the developer barrier. So developing a game for PC and developing a game for console these days are you know kind of the same essentially. If you're if you're developing an Xbox game, you're using DirectX. You know, you're doing you're doing the exact same stuff you'd be doing for a PC game, and you're developing it on a PC anyway. And PC games typically don't have that much of a problem scaling as hardware goes up. So potentially, uh, if you've got a console that's you know really powerful to start with, and you don't have to do a tremendous amount of console specific, you know, code customizations, you might be able to make a an API and a development environment that that is a little more flexible and can handle, you know, midstream hardware upgrades for your console. And uh, yeah. And on the hardware side, they could do, instead of a new system, it could be, uh, you know, an expansion pack, like uh, back in the Nintendo 64 days when you put in that, that Ram cartridge. So you could play Donkey Kong 64. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. They could do, you know, that hasn't happened for a while, but they could have uh, something like that in there to, to kind of split the baby as far as 4k goes. Maybe split the baby. Gross. That sounds really creepy. Uh, now for a moment, I'd like to talk about uh, 4k and just as these pieces of hardware scale up, whether it's a PC or a console, what does that really mean for the games that we're seeing? And you guys just came back from CES. So maybe you can tell us about, is it just photorealism or is there other stuff like motion that will be really improved when it comes to an experience that people have in front of the, the game? 
yeah, personally, I saw 4K uh, for the first time at the Consumer Electronics Show this year, and my first impression was that it really wasn't that much more impressive than uh, a 1080p screen. Lee, maybe you had uh, a different no, feeling. No, I had the exact same exact same reaction. I went into the you know the darkened booths where they drew the curtains, and they were like, and now. Here is the 1080p thing, and then whoa, and the and the angel choir plays, and they show you the 4K content, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's okay. yeah, the, yeah it looks the effect kind of wears yeah. off uh, the farther away you are from the screen. I've done a little reading on this. If you're um to to tell the difference between 1080p and uh, 4K, you need to be between uh, five and eight feet away from the screen, five and ten feet, something like that. Huh. Now, I I do want to be clear. There's definitely a difference. Yeah. I mean, it does look it does look better, absolutely, and you can tell. But it's not like I would now immediately pay twenty five thousand right. dollars to own one of these. Right. TVs. You remember you remember the first time you saw an HD TV set and compared it to your old SC set, and you're like, yeah, wow, that was yeah. like, oh my god. Yeah, that that's a real noticeable difference. Or like going from VHS to DVD, that was a big thing. Wow. And then yeah, that was huge. And then DVD to Blu-ray, I felt was lower. It's it's getting to diminishing returns as far as graphics uh, and resolution go for these things. So doesn't that just bring us right back to the the games and the titles that are available for this? I don't mean to sound like a, a Debbie Downer, but you know, it's yeah. There's you have to be really inventive with what you're developing, right? Right. Yeah. There's other things you can do with pure hardware power. Uh, it's not just pushing more graphics, but um, for instance, more polygons you can have. You can have more characters on screen. I remember back when the Xbox 360 came out, uh, Dead Rising was the big thing, and uh, it had something like you know a hundred zombies on screen at once, and you could just tear through all of them with the chainsaw, and that was something that you really couldn't do on the last generation. It wasn't about making each zombie look better. It was about having more things going on. And uh, that affected the gameplay that uh, was possible uh, at that level of, of graphic quality. Right. And it's not just bigger. It's not just more characters on screen at one time. It's higher fidelity characters too. And I yeah. guess the canonical example is uh, Laura Croft, the Tomb Raider heroine, who, when you look at the early Tomb Raider games is, you know, polygonal and pointy and everything. And as the games have gotten, pointy. Newer, she, yeah, she's gotten less pointy, and now she's got you know a braid that actually moves around and all that. In the in the newest game, she looks you know like a person and not you know like you know pointy pointy. But is she any smarter? Is the question? Are we gonna get? Are we gonna see better I, AI with these you know CPUs, or is that gonna? Be, I think that's more on the software side. We're gonna have to come up with better routines rather well, than potentially yes i mean as you as you have a as you have more computing power available you have more computing power to spare for running your ai routines that's true but at the same time that's also a function of you know how good are your guys programming and how good or how good ai routines are they are they right that's that's what i feel is really the limiting factor now i feel like at, even at this point we are not limited by the number of, of computer cycles we have on the cpu uh, I, today's systems are pretty powerful if you're just programming you know one smart guy but we don't. We still don't know how to emulate uh, real people well enough to, you know, prevent uh, the guys from uh, looking totally, you know, computer generated. Right. It's obviously a hard problem to solve because if it wasn't, then you know, two generations of video game designers would have licked it already. Nah, it's nothing. I've I've got some free time this weekend. I think I'm going to solve that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Just bang that out for us. Okay, Scott. I'll do that. Sweet. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. So, so as we you know expect this stuff to come our way, are we talking about the major uh, companies, the major makers that make these these consoles, or are you guys talking about some other ones that we haven't uh, mentioned before, like the you know something beyond Microsoft or uh, PlayStation? Yeah, the biggest player, I guess, is uh, the Ouya, the uh, Android-based console. 
they basically put an Android tablet inside a little, a really tiny box uh, with an HDMI output that hooks up to your TV and a controller that uh, works with a bunch of existing Android games. And they're giving out the development kits right now to uh, thousands of developers or something. And it's it's got a free-to-play model. Every game will have at least some version that you can download for free, even if it's a demo. And, uh, you know, a lot of people signed up for their Kickstarter, so it's got a decent installed base. Uh, it's going to be really cheap, but I think it's about $100 to get the system. And like I said, all the games are at least free to try. So they're really trying to, you know, disrupt the model that has been dominant for a while for um, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. Uh, what it's really going to need, I think, is is that kind of killer app, the the thing that really makes you want to hook this up to your TV. Uh, I don't think having, you know, a hundred or a thousand Android games is really going to uh, appeal to people. You know, I like playing Cannabalt on my phone. I'm not sure I'm going to buy a console just so I can download it and play it on my HDTV. Uh, it's going to really need something uh, to set it apart. That said, you know, they're being so open with this. They're giving development hardware to people who have been, you know, totally shut out of the console market. There's a good chance that, you know, the next Angry Birds or the next, you know, really surprising indie hit uh, could come to Ouya and just start snowballing from there and make a real big momentum. That's that's possible, sure. And I think that you know the last the last year, particularly the last you know twelve to eighteen months, uh, indie gaming is is huge. And I think indie gaming is is here in a way that it has never been here before. Even though there have always been people you know designing games in the basement, proverbially. But at the same time, I'll, designing games, designing indie games is passion driven, but it's also at least in some small amount profit driven. If you mm. watch the documentaries like like in indie game, the documentary, uh, and you see you know, those guys are just trying their guts out to produce something that they love. But at the same time, there is, you know, they want to be able to do it and make a living at it too. And releasing a game uh, for Ouya doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make a tremendous amount of money on it. Whereas if you have a hit on, you know, Xbox Live or the iOS store, for example, you're probably, you probably are going to make, you know, a fair amount of money at doing it. Right. It's a, it's the difference between being on Xbox Live, there's only, you know, a few dozen games a year, though. So if you've already, if you've met that hurdle, you have a very good chance of being successful. Ouya, I think, is for, you know, the long tail of other people. They, they would usually make a game uh, if they couldn't get on Xbox Live or something. They might make it for Xbox Live indie games where there's, you know, a flood of really crappy games. Or they might make a PC title where there's tons of great titles and also tons of games that uh, are just uh, derivative crap. Uh, so with, I think Ouya is going to have that same problem that uh, iOS and uh, Android phones have in a way. And there's just a glut of really, really bad games. And then a few people hit the jackpot with either good games or games that are, you know, just addictive and uh, viral enough to make it. Now, whether right. or not any of those games are enough to get you to buy a system just dedicated to it, that's different. Uh, a lot of people have a PC already. A lot of people have an iPhone already. They didn't necessarily buy it just looking for these games. And then if a good game pops up, there's an audience for it because everyone has an iPhone and everyone can download Angry Birds. Oh, cute, Angry Birds. Uh, whether, you know, that just that can sustain a system... It, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I think that's where I personally feel that the, the types of games just make the difference. 
uh, yeah, on the phone and on my iPad, I'm I'm happy enough to play certain games. But what I'm looking for is really a console kind of experience. Games that take weeks. Well, for me, weeks. For a teenager, it might be like a day. But, <laughs> uh, you know, something where I can invest an hour at a time over a long period of time and really enjoy myself and feel immersed. And that doesn't really happen for me on the iOS. Yeah, that's starting games. to come to uh, Android. You have games like uh, Dead Trigger, which is, you know, actually a very decent uh, zombie hunting uh, 3D game. It's a first-person shooter. Uh, if you have a controller and a decent tablet, it, it plays like you know an early-generation Xbox 360 game uh, right down to it. So uh, it, we're at a transition point for Android, I think, where it's coming from just those phone games, and now with Ouya and with tablets and with lots of people making controllers, there there's a more console-like experience trying to get a foothold in there uh it's not an easy fit for android because it's been so used to be these lowest common denominator you know free to play 99 cent uh, games it's hard to make money on we'll see if it can develop so that's actually my my question is you know what i know that there's no real way to predict but you know in a fantasy world if you were to see into the future i mean how do you see where do you see this going in like I don't know, five or ten years. Do you think that this kind of middle ground with the Ouya is going to be a thing that people, you know, people know about and talk about and buy? In five or ten years, it's tough to predict out. But I think I think the Ouya might be an inflection point for these things. If if the Ouya succeeds even moderately, you're going to see a lot more copycats. Maybe even people, uh, you know, making compatible boxes. Like it can play the same Android games, but it's got a different hardware spec. It's got a different controller. It has these new features. It could be, you know, why, just like PCs, there's a whole bunch of different PC configurations. If the Ouya fails, I think it will set the whole idea back for a while. People will say, oh, well, you know, oh, we really want to break into the console market. You know, it's too closed, and Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft control things too tightly, and it really needs to be better. And then everyone's going to say, well, look at Ouya. You know, they tried this, and even if even if the situation is better in three years, the the memory of the Ouya is still going to set things back, kind of like uh, the Virtual Boy set back uh, virtual reality back in the nineties. I'd, I'd have to say, yeah, I have to say my my take on the Ouya's chances is is relatively pessimistic. I I frankly don't think that they're going to be able to accomplish what they think they're going to be able to accomplish, and I think a lot of that is because it. The Ouya as a console is the kind of thing that attracts uh, people who know what the Ouya is already. Like the, the kind of the people that are really, really excited about an open source hardware Android running console are the kind of people who know what an open source running Android console is already. Typically, a console is going to stand or fall on the strength of the licensing agreements that it has behind it and on the AAA titles they can draw to it. And I think that. You see stuff like Xbox Live doing so well only because the Xbox, as it was just taking that as an example, the Xbox is already an established console that Microsoft paid, frankly, a tremendous amount of money to get to that state in you know the licenses that they had to capture and the games that they had to produce. The the Ouya starting off appealing directly to the kind of people who, you know, are deep into Android and open source, I don't think puts it in a very good footing at all to take off because you got to convince people to buy it. You have to convince not just open source advocates to buy it. You've got to convince, you know, the regular kind of people who are buying all the Madden games and Halo games to buy this console. And I don't think that there's a chance because the type of licenses 
and big AAA titles that are going to draw those people are already being locked up by the publishing companies that can pay to control them. Yeah, and even um, Microsoft, when it was getting its foothold uh, against Sony and Nintendo, it needed a game like Halo to really convince people, hey, we're a serious player. You need to buy an Xbox because it's the only place you can get Halo. Uh, yeah, and you're talking about a company in Microsoft's position that had been given essentially unlimited money. Yeah. Like they had the, the Xbox division when they were building had essentially carte blanche. They could spend whatever they needed to establish the brand. Right. So what Ouya is counting on is that instead of spending that money, they're just going to open it up to thousands of developers who have been locked out of consoles. And hopefully they are chomping at the bit with some uh, great idea that just the console makers have been too blind to accept or has been... Uh, too controversial to work on the PC or something. I don't know. And that will I think it's, catch I, on. on the, I think it's, uh, it's idealistic, but unrealistic. I think that the, there are, there are there. I mean, obviously lowering the barrier to entry for producing a, producing a console game is a good thing to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you do need to be able to you, like you, the anonymous developer who has the burning desire to produce this game that you've got, like just, just inside of you that is waiting to come out. You do need to be, you know, purchasing a purchasing a ninety nine dollar iOS dev license, or or uh, I, I don't think it costs that much to get into developing for Xbox Live, for example. Either I think you can do you can use the free version of Visual Studio, and maybe cost a hundred bucks for a developer license to be able to publish to Xbox Live. You know, I mean, and I may be getting that wrong. I'm sorry, I don't know off the top of my head what the Xbox Live costs are, but they're not enormous. You don't have to go drop you know thousands of dollars to become a developer. No, that's there true. There does need that... to be some barrier. Yeah. That's true, but that get that only gets you on the Xbox Live indie games uh, ghetto, okay. which is is kind of uh, a breeding ground for uh, not many sales and uh, competition with a bunch of really crappy games. Uh, nothing. Well, okay, and extend, really broken extend out that there, out. And that's kind of what I see happening to Ouya too. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was. That's where I was kind of going with it. If the if the low barrier to entry already breeds something that looks like the you know the Xbox Live uh, arcade indie section. Yeah. What is the what is the essentially no barrier to entry Ouya going to breed? There does need to be some kind of some kind of curation or you know marketing. There needs to be something because even in even in Xbox Live, there's tons of games or Xbox Live Arcade. There's tons of games and and the ones that do the best are the ones that and again forgive me if I get this wrong. This is my impression. The ones that do the best are the ones that are kind of plucked up out of the out of the seething mass and given some ad space on the on the the homepage. Yeah, and Ouya has got some ideas as far as curation and, you know, user voting and trying to promote the good games, but uh, none of that's going to matter. In, in the first three months, they're really going to need a game that everyone can point to and say, this is why I'm, I'm proud to own an Ouya. This is why uh, I consider it uh, a valid competitor to... And I think there will else. be some people, there are going to be some people that will be drawn to the console because of what it is, but those people may not necessarily have the killer game app burning inside of them that's going to draw, you know, a million copies yeah. and, and make them wildly successful. The people that have those ideas, uh, you know, it, it, there's there's obviously new people coming up with new ideas for games all the time, of course, but the big ideas, I still think, are going to go where they can... This sounds cruel, and I don't mean it to be cruel, but I think the people that have marketable ideas are going to go to where those ideas can be marketable and make some money on them. And that is, at this point, not – oh, yeah, that's the iOS store and the big places. And Steam and Steamworks. And everything. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I agree yeah. with you. They have, to get, they have to get lucky. Yeah. So uh, to shift gears just for a second here, um, 
you know, those of us on the on the outside who don't follow gaming a lot, it seems like there's more and more um, coming up lately with the motion controls and virtual reality stuff. And I just wanted to know what you guys think of that and where that is going right now. Yeah, the the most exciting thing to happen to that for a while is, of course, uh, the Oculus Rift, the, the another big Kickstarter campaign that's uh, making a virtual reality headset that's really trying to learn the lessons of all the failed uh, headsets from decades past. And what makes I, it so special compared to what was in the past? Well, the, the real big thing is the head tracking, which um, everything I've tried before, uh, if it even had head tracking at all, it was so latent. So it, it had so much latency that you would kind of move your head and then it would follow you maybe a half second or a second behind. And, you know, you could really, you really had to kind of move slowly. I don't know if you ever played that game, uh, Dactyl Nightmare, that was kind of in arcades in the mid-90s. Yes, where yes they had that at really David poly- Buster's down here. <laughs> really polygonal pterodactyl around it. And you could kind of move your head slowly, but if you did any more than that, it would get confused. This has, uh, you know, uh, state-of-the-art uh, gyro sensors of, of the type that are used in iPhone, and they made their own APIs for it. So you, you can shake your head all about, and it follows you pretty quickly. They're, they're really trying to get that latency down. Uh, it's also got, you know, uh, high-powered 3D hardware that we didn't have uh, back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, to make it look realistic. Uh, it's using off-the-shelf uh, LCD parts, which have come down in price quite a bit, so uh, it's easy to get a small screen just a few inches ahead of you that has a decent resolution. Um, you know, my impression of it, I've seen it twice now at, at conventions, and uh, the second time was an improvement over the first time. They're really working to refine it by the time uh, they get development kits out in March, and uh, I think they want to get consumer versions out by the end of the year. And when that comes out, I think it's going to be a very good proof of concept, like virtual reality is is here to stay now. It's it's something that's doable. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be still a little nauseating for some people. The resolution's not going to be high enough for some people, but it'll be a good version 1.0 for early adopters and then give it another year two years if they can get a foothold with that if they can prove to the industry that it's virtual reality is no longer a pipe dream then they can keep improving on it and you know by five years from now hey, we could all be wearing you know google glasses that uh, have augmented reality on them that's you know nearly indistinguishable from uh, real world yeah i've been making fun of head mounted displays since about 1996 five. <laughs> Yeah, since I was making fun of this before, it was cool. No, seriously, back back in the day when I was really heavy into descent, there were uh, there were some 3D um, shutter glasses, like a head mounted shutter display with LCD shutters in them that you could wear. Uh, that was that I tried out at the local um, at the local Babbage's actually, and it was I mean it was horrible, it was ridiculous. It was not only could not only was it headache inducing, but the computers of the time couldn't like actually generate the frames fast enough because you had to have you know one frame for each eye so you had to have double the frame rate it was it was horrible how much been, how much was know, that back then oh dude it was like eight hundred dollars <laughs> or something ridiculous in 90s money yeah but, yeah in 90s money so i mean it's um the time looks like though it may finally have come to where instead of you know making fun of the lawnmower man displays of the past we actually see some some doable usable uh head-mounted displays. Everything I've seen, I did not get a chance to try out the Oculus Rift uh, at CES, unfortunately, but everything I've seen on it, including your write-up, says that it, it, it may actually it may actually be enough to actually do it for real. Yeah, we'll see. The, the real weird thing about the, the Oculus Rift, though, is that you know, your head is, is so accurate. It, you move around and you're actually looking around, and then 
you're kind of stuck holding this handheld controller or even using a keyboard right. and mouse. They don't have you know an integrated motion capture solution for that. So I think that's what's going to have to be the next step. You know, I well I, the thing the thing that seems like they could they could add pretty easily would be like uh, uh, gaze tracking, eyeball gaze tracking, because mm. that's not. I mean, I'm not a not a developer, and I don't have an Oculus Rift in front of me, so I may be you know making stuff up. But that doesn't look like something that would be too terribly difficult to add onto the existing hardware. The problem, I guess, would be getting games to take advantage of it because you'd have to separate the concept of where you're looking from where your head is facing. And currently a, a game that's using a mouse or, or a, um, a controller to look around, it's kind of the same thing. Your gaze is the, you know, the dead center of your field of view. Yeah, maybe. I, it, I think that might, I, that might be hard to do on something like the Oculus Rift. I, my, intent, my impression is that you need a camera that's a few feet away from you. Uh, I saw one of those gaze tracking things at, at CES and I wrote about it and it was, they put it on the laptop screen and you were sitting like three feet away. I don't know how they would do it that in a, a virtual reality glasses. But um, what I'm more concerned with is, you know, actually letting you use your hands and feet. Because once, you, mm. once you're controlling your head and you can look down, you know, at your feet, you expect, oh, now if I put my foot out, uh, I could see it, you know, and... Uh, when I've talked to the Oculus Rift guys about this, they're like, oh, yeah, we're leaving it open. We don't want to, uh, you know, guide people into one control scheme. People can experiment with whatever they want. But, you know, that's fine. But that's just going to lead to, you know, 10 different motion control schemes. And one has you holding a virtual sword and one is just a camera. And another one has you uh, wrapping something around your arms. And none of them are really going to catch on. If uh, with the next version of this, I really think they should look into doing what they did with the head-mounted display, really revolutionizing it for new technology and giving developers something to say, okay, here is the state-of-the-art motion control solution to go with it, and then it will really feel like virtual reality. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Kyle. I, I think that somebody needs to sort of be the leader in deciding on something. You know, I know, I understand the the desire to leave it open, um, but when it comes to things like this, like brand new technologies, uh, someone needs to put something out there and get people kind of rolling on it first before, before there's a million other solutions. You're, you're just an Apple apologist saying stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's is how I lead, lead my whole life, Kyle. <laughs> it's not just, uh, Apple. <laughs> right. Um, so Cesar, do you, I mean, what do you think about, I know that you, you and I talk about this, um, like the virtual reality glasses sometimes. Um, how do you feel about the Oculus Rift? I I think it could have a lot of promise, but I've, I've historically never been that excited about virtual reality environments, mostly because they just don't feel real enough to me. I think it's, most of it is the person who is playing giving their best to try to make it work. And uh, I think it could be really interesting. I haven't clear, I haven't used it, and I would love to uh, give it a, a spin. I think the level of game playing that you could get if these were implemented into a really cool game would be incredible. I mean, the first-person shooter or uh, even things that require skill, if you're solving a puzzle, you know, the, the skill could involve, like, using your wrist or turning your head a certain way. I think that would be incredible. Yeah, it's going to take people... Uh... I, I was talking to the Oculus Rift guys again, and they said, you know, um, just porting a regular first-person shooter you think would be really easy because it's still a first-person view and you just add the head tracking in. 
and that's fine. But no, they said, you know, people are going to have to learn how to design games for virtual reality. It's different than looking at a monitor because you're at, in that viewpoint rather than just looking at a monitor that has that viewpoint. Well, and and you know what? I think one thing that's fascinating about this from a neuroscience kind of point of view is that most people aren't aware of how their body is taking up space and how it moves. So if you're using software that actually depends on you to move and play a game and survive a game, uh, it's going to create really interesting problems, I think, design problems. Because if somebody just keeps on moving over to the right, they might either get uh, nauseous or lose the game. So. did you yeah. see, did you guys see the uh, the the review of uh, the CES video of Matt Braga playing with the Oculus Rift? Actually, I guess it was it was the tested guys. It was Norm talking about it, but it had Matt in the background. I don't think so. And he was he was turning his head upside down and turning his head up. And he like got like his entire head. He's sitting in a chair. Got his entire head upside down, and the camera moved to get him out of the frame because he was like essentially photobombing the entire shoot. And like right then he turned upside down the other way back in the frame. It was like the greatest thing ever. But yeah. your, your point about, you know, being aware of how your, your body and your head and all that moves, uh, it's going to become more of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's already, that kind of thing's already been uh, an issue with uh, the connect and uh, things like the Wii remote, you know, where, you know, you tell someone, okay, run in place and some people are going to do really tiny steps and some people are going to lift their knees really high and some people are going to have a wide gate and some people are going to have a narrow gate and you have to you have to make them all feel good about their running if if they're running in place and the character on on screen is just kind of walking then you're 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 not going to tell them you are running wrong you know it's not like you're pushing the a button wrong you have to no. you have to accommodate all these different things and it's i've talked to some developers it's a real challenge to you know uh make all these things uh register as run uh cuz uh, 10 different people will probably have 15 different ways of running. Uh, add to the- Back in the old days, we used to get with the Nest power pad, we used to actually hit the hit it with our hands oh, to like, go that. faster and cheat in track and field. That's harder to do with the Kinect. You can't remember. <laughs> right. But uh, I mean, in that sense, as you guys describe this, then it does make me want to get one of these systems. I mean, just, just with that, even if it's more difficult to figure out how to play it, I, I would like to do that. Well, yeah, if they so. if they combine the Oculus Rift, which is just the headset, with something like Kinect, where you can move around, uh, games could definitely do that. Uh, the problem is the Kinect, you know, it, it was neat at first, a nice novelty, but it doesn't quite have uh, the abilities, I think. It doesn't have the resolution it needs, and it has a little bit too much lag for, you know, anything more than, than the little mini-games or dancing games that where people really aren't too concerned. I've been... I would put money down that Microsoft has been you know, spending the last three years working on a big update to that, and it will be a huge part of the, the next Microsoft system. Uh, if that has the ability to do things like tracking fingers and you know have that sub-10 millisecond uh, lag time that you really need to feel like you're controlling it, then you know the, the real motion control renaissance uh, might finally be here. I was just going to say, I, you know... This has come up many times before. Now I'm tired of hearing my own story, but I am that user who's ready for the next thing, whether it's a great game title or a console with a a brand new game title that will hook me. I'm ready to spend my money this year on whatever that would be. So what is it going to be? I mean, what what is going to be like the thing that we should all buy? That's that's so hard Tell to say. Tell me now. It's <laughs> so hard to say especially when we know absolutely nothing but rumors about what Microsoft yeah. and Sony are going to do. Um at this point I would say wait. 
I, I wouldn't run out and buy a Wii U unless you're a real big uh, Mario fan because the, the Mario game is about the only great one there. And if you wait, there will be more games and uh, it'll cost less. And you might know whether or not Sony or Microsoft system uh, is for you. Uh, look into Anuya if uh, you're really big on open source and you think there's some sort of conspiracy to keep good games away from consoles that are only going to be on an open uh, Android platform. Uh, and and on, if you're not that, just wait for the one game that proves to you, wow, Ouya is going to be great. And if that comes out, we'll definitely cover it, obviously. And uh, for the Oculus Rift, um, it's not the... I know a lot of people ordered the development kit just to play around with it, even though they're more on the consumer side. Uh, but you really shouldn't do that. Just wait until uh, it comes out in the fall or the winter, and uh, there should be a whole bunch of games for it by then. And I think it'll really be worth it. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, waiting is probably wise. Uh, the stuff that's going to stuff that's going to let people interact more naturally with computers and integrate, like we've seen, we've seen the rise of gesture-based computing. We're seeing, you know, touchscreens and laptops now are getting to be more and more common, uh, especially as as Windows 8 becomes more common and kind of forces you into that mode. But when you look at at like what's going to be next from a from you know a gaming perspective. Um, I'd look for something like I pasted it into the chat a few minutes ago. I'd look for something like the Leap Motion, which is uh, yeah. going to be shipping pretty soon. Developer versions of it are going to be shipping pretty soon, anyway. Uh, you know, it gives you it gives you the ability to integrate gestures and hand motions and stuff, much like Kinect, except the form factor is much tinier and a lot less obtrusive. In fact, it's small enough to where you could easily build something like that into a laptop or into a display without requiring a little separate unit. So, you know, maybe the side of people waving their hands like. Karnak over their laptops is going to become more and more common. Yeah, that's going to be real interesting what that does in the PC space. But um, I would put I would put money down that Microsoft is going to have an answer to that that it will at least be revealed by the end of the year. Yeah, I I would I don't think you'd lose that bet. Nice Karnak reference too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, very nice. All right, well, thank all you guys for being on the show. Um, we always appreciate having you guys on, and. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. Oh, if you like the show, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else. Um, you can always leave us comments on the site. Um, and as always, you don't have to listen to us through iTunes if you don't want to, but you can. Um, you can play it right from the webpage. And um, I know Cesar knows all the other places that you can listen to us. SoundCloud. Oh, We're yeah. Also SoundCloud. SoundCloud, yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thank you guys again. So, And thank everyone for listening. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Right. Bye. Bye.